The scripture reading this morning is from Acts. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that, all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Good morning. Thanks to everybody for all your congratulations about the new baby in our house. A lot of you asked if I'm getting any sleep, and the answer is yes, um, which has brought scowls from the women and attaboys from the men. Um, so, yeah, sorry about that. It's the truth. Um, taking two weeks off from, from preaching while this event was taking place, and we're picking up this morning with a series we've been in for a long time, the whole story, the story of Scripture from beginning to end. We're in week 18 of, of 21 now, and I think some of you are starting to feel a little bit antsy, like, okay, 18, 21, we don't have a lot left. This thing could, should kind of be wrapping up soon. And I feel that pressure too. So next week we're going to be heading to the book of Revelation, looking at how it all ends up, how history ends. Uh, it doesn't end on, on May 21st, 2011, incidentally. And we'll, we'll look at that for, for three weeks at the end of this series. But today I still am, am stuck in the same place. I want to pause again and look at this same sermon from Acts chapter 2, the first Christian sermon ever preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. And when we looked at this passage before, we focused on a phrase, cut to the heart. When they heard this message, they were cut to the heart. The truth of the message sunk into their souls. But what I want to focus on today is the phrase that directly follows this. If you look on the back of your program where it's bolded. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Brothers, what should we do? They heard the message, they were convicted, and then they said, Brothers, what should we do? This is a common question. It's a question I get a lot as a pastor. Okay, I've heard the message. Okay, I understand it. But what am I supposed to do? 
It was a question that was asked a lot in the Bible. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Philippian jailer said to the apostles, What must I do to be saved? Last, a couple weeks ago, Kara talked about Nicodemus coming to Jesus with the same question. How do I get in? What do I have to do to be a Christian? And it's not only a common question, it's, it's probably the most important question. It's kind of the question. It's the reason we're all here. What do I have to do? How do I know whether I'm in or out? We've, we've talking about Jesus. We're talking about this story. We're talking about God. We're talking about this whole system of ideas. How do I know whether I'm participating in it, whether I'm found in it, or I'm kind of on the outside looking in? What do I have to do? What are the criteria? And what's beautiful about Peter's answer is that they, they ask him this direct, simple, unambiguous question. What do we have to do? And he gives them a direct, simple, unambiguous answer. Here's what you do. You may have heard somebody say before, well, you don't do, you don't really do anything to be a Christian. False. You may have also heard somebody say before, well, you know, to be a Christian, there's this long list of things you have to do. Also false. Not the case that you don't have to do anything. Not the case that you have to do a long list of things. You have to do a few things. There's a few things you have to do to be a Christian, to be united with the death and resurrection of Christ and the mercy found therein. We're going to look at those this morning. There's a number of ways you could kind of slice and dice this, so don't get too hung up on the way I've broken it down. But I think the easiest way to present this is there are two internal things you have to do and two external things you have to do. Two internal things you have to do and two external things you have to do. And we're going to look at those four things this morning you consider yourself a Christian, this is an opportunity for self-assessment. Okay, does that describe me? If you don't consider yourself a Christian, this is an opportunity to at least kind of get an inside look. Okay, that's what Christianity is all about. Those are kind of the parameters, and maybe learn something, if nothing else. So we'll get right into it, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the answers that you give us in your word. We thank you that you don't leave us to just stumble around in the dark and and try to figure things out for ourselves, but that you give us truth, you give us wisdom, you give us a way of discerning the path that it is you want us to take. As we look at that this morning, God, I pray that you would give us insight and you'd help us to understand. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So you've got to do two internal things, and you've got to do two external things. What are they? First internal thing you have to do is repent. The first thing you have to do to be a Christian is repent. If you look on your program, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent. First word out of his mouth is repent. Now I just went on and on about how great it is that Peter gives a clear, unambiguous response, tells them exactly what they're supposed to do. That becomes less valuable if you don't understand what he's saying, if you don't understand one of the terms he uses. I think that's kind of the case we're in with this word repentance. He says repent. Okay, what is that? We kind of have a vague notion of what it might be, but do we, could we define it? Or do we, are we sure enough about what repentance is to bet on it? If this is one of the big things that anybody who's going to be a Christian has to do, we better know exactly what it is. What is repentance? Two things it's not. Two things repentance isn't that commonly get confused with repentance. The first thing repentance isn't is sorrow, regret, feeling bad for what you've done. This is kind of the common usage of the word repentance. You know, he's repentant, he's penitent, he he feels bad about it. At least he's not unrepentant. He really, you know, he feels conviction about it. That's not repentance. We see that right here in the passage. Why? It says they were cut to the heart, they felt convicted, And then, Peter says, in addition to that, on top of that, 
Separate from that, now repent. Paul says the exact same thing in this letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9. He says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. So sorrow comes first and then repentance. They're not the same thing. Sorrow is something separate. So to repent, to truly repent, you've got to be sorry first. You've got to be sorry for what you've done first. And these folks that were listening to Peter were sorry for the way that their sins had put Christ on the cross. You've got to have that first, but that's not repentance in and of itself. Repentance isn't sorrow, isn't feeling bad or regretful. That's the first thing it's commonly confused with. The second thing it's commonly confused with is repentance isn't change behavior, change life, living better. And that's kind of the natural conclusion. If I, if I say repentance is more than just being sorry, the natural place your mind goes is, okay, well then repentance must mean not doing it again. Repentance must mean changing, becoming a different person. Just as sorrow precedes repentance, this changed life follows from repentance, but it is also not repentance in and of itself. It flows out of repentance gradually. A person who is truly repented will gradually have a changed life, but the changed life in and of itself is not repentance. That can't be what Peter's saying here. Otherwise, he'd be saying, they say, well, we, what do we do? We're, we're convicted about what we did to Jesus. What do we do? And he says, go clean up your life, then come back. No, we know for sure, based on the rest of the New Testament, that's not what Peter's saying either. So what's repentance? You've got sorrow flowing into it. You've got a changed life flowing out of it. And right smack in the middle, something that only lasts a moment, is repentance. We can define this so precisely. It's not what comes before. It's not what comes after. It's this thing right in the middle. What is it? Let's go to the words themselves. The English word isn't a lot of help here, but the the Greek and Hebrew words behind it are. So the Hebrew word for repent means literally to return The Greek word for repent, metanoia, used here in this passage, literally means to change your mind, to think differently after. To change your mind, to think differently after, to return. The best definition of biblical repentance, the most common definition of biblical repentance is to turn around. Repentance means to turn around. And that definition will make more sense to you if you've been here in this series, because what you know is... The Bible teaches that every person's basic default orientation is to be facing away from God. You're born with your back toward God. You're born with your back toward God. Ever since Eden, ever since this rebellion against God and his ways, your default orientation, your default direction in life as a human being is with your back toward God. The first step to becoming a Christian, the first step to being part of Christ is to turn around to turn around and face God. It means waking up to the fact, okay, I didn't make myself. Okay, I didn't make the world. Okay, I really don't know what I'm doing. And instead of trying to figure this out on my own, instead of being rebellion in rebellion against my maker, I'm going to turn around and face him. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to follow him. Turning around from having your back toward God to facing him instead. That's repentance. And it can happen in a moment. Now, I understand that's still intangible. You know, I, that's not something you can see or touch. But still, notice how precisely we've defined it. We know exactly what it is. And sure, it's internal. You know, it's not, again, you can't touch it. But we know what it is, at least. The question is, well, how do I know whether I've done it or not? Because I, I, if you're like me, you, you have this thought, okay, um, I've, I made that decision once, and then somehow or other, I found myself at some point all of a sudden with my back toward God again. So what happened? Did I, did I not truly repent? Did I, was it kind of fake repentance? Or what, what's going on? 
two possibilities and only you can say which of these two possibilities is true of you. You're either in one of two positions, all of us are, if you've ever kind of made this type of decision before. The first possibility is you truly repented, you truly f turned your life toward God, but of course you still slip and fall, of course you still stumble. But the basic orientation of your life is still toward God, and you're kind of pursuing that path. The second possibility is you kind of give God lip service in these moments of crisis or these moments of extreme guilt, and you say, well, I really want to turn around, but really, fundamentally, the overall trajectory of your life is you're still in the driver's seat. You haven't truly handed over the keys yet. And the facts on the ground between those two situations could look similar. You know, you could have two people that are in two different positions. One person's trajectory, one person's direction is toward God, and one person's isn't. And the, the facts of their life may not look all that different at a particular point in time. So only you can say. Only you can say which is you. But the point is, repentance fundamentally is a directional word. It's about which direction you're facing. So the first thing Peter says you have to do is repent. To be a Christian, you're cut to the heart, you feel conviction, first repent. Second thing you have to do, also an internal thing, first repent, second believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now if you were listening, if you heard the passage being read a few minutes ago, you should be alarmed right now because what I just said is different than what Peter said in his message. Take a look on the back of your program. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said, Repent and believe. Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Which is it? Can't be both. I'm changing the Bible, and that's usually not a good thing. Let me, let me explain to you my reasoning here for saying the two core things you've got to do are repent and believe. I believe that's implicit in what Peter's saying. That's what his hearers heard. When he said, repent and be baptized, they heard, repent and believe, then be baptized as a sign of that. The reason I have for, for saying that is let me read you similar exchanges through the rest of the book of Acts. This is Acts 2.21. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 10.43, whoever believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Acts 15.9, they cleanse their heart by faith. Acts 13.38, through this man Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone that believes is freed. Acts 16, the episode with the jailer that I mentioned. What must I do to be saved? They say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, when Paul is summing up his ministry, he says, I testify to the Jews and Greeks, repentance to God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Hopefully that's overwhelming evidence to you. You can get off course by making too much of one single verse without reading it in the context of the whole New Testament. In this, this case, just the whole book of Acts. So I'm not scrubbing out baptism. We'll talk about that in just a second. But on the evidence of the book of Acts as a whole, the two primary things for sure, and what's certainly implicit in what Peter's already saying here, are repent and believe. Those are the two things. Repent and believe. So repent, we know what that is. Turn toward God. Believe, believe what? Um, unfortunately, like if you haven't been here recently, this is, this is kind of a bummer because this is probably the most important section of the message. You know, believe. What am I supposed to believe? That's what I really need to know. And we've spent a lot of time over the past... Uh, a couple months focusing in here, so I'm going to kind of skip over this section. But if you're new today or if you haven't been around, I hope you 
listen to one of the past messages or, or keep coming back, because this is kind of obviously the core of Christianity. What you have to believe is Christ died, Christ rose again, and in that, forgiveness and redemption are found for you. He bought you back with his blood. You're acceptable to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's faith. It's faith. And as we've talked about many times before, that faith is not just cognitive. It's not just, I believe that as kind of a metaphysical truth out there, but it's this, this loving trust, this placing your confidence in it. In the sense that most people feel like they have to be good to please God. Believing in the blood of Christ, believing in redemption through Jesus means no longer trying to be good to please God, but believing that you're acceptable to God because of what Christ has done. So they're kind of nice parallels, repentance and this faith piece, because repentance means, okay, I'm not going to be bad anymore. I'm not going to just do whatever I want anymore. I submit myself to God. Belief means, okay, I'm not going to try to prove myself to God through being good anymore. I'm not going to depend on my own efforts to be good anymore. I know I can't do that either. I trust in God's mercy. I submit to God's law, and I trust in God's mercy. Those are the two internal things any person has to do to become a Christian, to be found in Christ, to be united with him, repent, and believe. I know that was fast. The two external things, I wanted to save time to talk about one of these in particular this morning. The two external things you have to do, which we talk about these a lot less, so I wanted to to focus in here. The two external things you have to do are, are baptism and communion. So now, two internal things, repentance and belief. Let's turn and spend the rest of our time this morning on these two external things, baptism and communion. Specifically, I want to focus on on baptism. So Peter says, repent and be baptized, or as we've kind of amended it from the rest of the book of Acts, repent and believe, and then be baptized as a sign of that. There's no debate about what he means by be baptized. It's not confusing. Ask any Christian from any denomination. They'll tell you what Peter's talking about here is a ritual washing ceremony where a person walks into the water, goes down under the water, comes back up out of the water. It's this ceremony of of some sort, you know, and there's lots of different types of baptism today, but in this time, that's what it meant. So why? Why this? Why this ritual washing ceremony? There's a lot of different ways we could answer that. This morning we could talk about the history of baptism. We could go into all these kind of different theological disputes. What I'd like to do instead is to get at this why baptism question just from one angle only, which is what practical use is it? What good does it serve in an individual believer's life? Why would I pastorally recommend this to you, baptism? And let me start to answer that by asking another question. I'll set it up like this. Let's say you you have believed. Let's say you are repentant. Let's say you've heard this story about Jesus You've heard this story about the cross and about the resurrection. You've heard the story of God's love, and you believe it, and you want it to be defining for your own life. You want to be found in it. Let's say all of that is true of you. The question then is, how are you going to declare this? How are you going to say it? How are you going to make this statement? Okay, I believe. Okay, I repent. I've done the two internal things. How are you going to say that that's the position that you're in? Let me, let's spend a couple minutes building a menu of options here, ways you could do this. First way you could do it is to raise your hand. You're in in an audience like this. Somebody up front says, who believes? Who repents? That's the first way. First option for declaring this belief and repentance, you could raise your hand. Second option, similar, you could come forward. 
So um, the early 1900s, this National League baseball player played for the Phillies and the Pirates named Billy Sunday. Was destined to be a, a preacher with that last name. Billy Sunday, former ball player, becomes an evangelist and starts having these um, self-titled revivals, revivals, quote-unquote, all around the country. It's kind of a presumptuous title, but they were really well-received. He would go, and he'd set up a big tent. They'd put sawdust all over the floor to keep the mud and dust from the ground down, and um, they'd invite a bunch of people. He'd preach the good news about Jesus, and at the end of the message, he'd say, you know, if you believe, if you're repentant, Come on down. Come forward. Or as Billy Sunday liked to put it, hit the sawdust trail. Hit this, hit this sawdust trail. Come down the aisle. Make your declaration of faith. And, of course, Billy Graham picks up right where he left off for decade after decade, starting in the late 1940s. Does the same thing, just bigger and bigger tents and then bigger and bigger stadiums. And preaches the good news about Jesus, says, you know, if you believe, if you repent, come on down. People walk down the, the aisle onto the field. You could raise your hand. You could come forward. A third option would be you could um, like sign your name. So you, there's like a form. It says, I believe, I repent. You sign your name at the bottom of it. Or, you know, there's a, uh, you write your name at the top of a form and you check a box that says, I believe, I repent, I'm in. I belong to Christ. That's another option. A fourth option, I guess, is you could just, you know, send down an email. You could just tell people, I, I, I believe now, I repent. Or you could, um, you know, change your, your Facebook status. You could post something on a bulletin board, send out a, a tweet. That's what they're called, right? Tweets. Very into this um, social, social media technology. It's just revolutionary. Um, so, you know, you could just send out a notice of some sort. I believe, I repent. All of those options are fine. Raise your hand, come forward, send out an email, check a box. No, nothing wrong with any of those. All perfectly legitimate. I'm, I'm really not knocking any of them. But they do all share one weakness, which is that they all kind of feel a little bit arbitrary and a little bit artificial. It's kind of like, okay, raise my hand. I mean, it kind of feels too big for that. People feel like it's, it's a little bit too important for that to just raise my hand and say, well, yeah, I believe in this message about Jesus. Yeah, nothing wrong with it, but a, but a lot of people feel like it's kind of artificial. And you, you're almost left feeling like, man, I just wish that, that Jesus had told us a specific way to declare this. I just, I just wish that like the early church had this ceremony, and they all did it the exact same way. We could use that. I just wish that the Bible gave us an answer as to how we're supposed to declare this faith and this repentance. And of course, the Bible does give us an answer. Jesus did recommend a specific way. The early church did all do it the exact same way. There is a holy, sacred ceremony for declaring this. It's called baptism. It's called baptism. And so you can raise your hand or check a box or, you know, fill out a form if you want. But you've been given this ceremony, this going under the water and raising back up again, symbolizing your unification with Christ's death and resurrection, symbolizing the cleansing of your sins, the cleansing of your soul, symbolizing the old life that you're leaving behind, the new life you're beginning. And why would you not want to take that? Why would you not want to use that? 
Again, there's all sorts of different ways we could talk about why baptism is important. We're just focusing on one this morning, which is it's incredibly beneficial for an individual person to have this holy, sacred moment of saying, I was here, and now I'm here. This is my defining characteristic. This is who I am as a person. You say, okay, that, that's all very nice. Um, problem for me is, you know, that would make sense if I was kind of born one religion and then wanted to convert to Christianity. But I was, let's say I was born in a Christian family, and I've already been baptized. Don't remember it, but I've seen the pictures. I was there. Um, so where does that leave me? And I would give two different recommendations to someone in that position, d- depending on kind of your, your overall circumstances. If you were baptized as an infant, and then you took God very seriously as an older child, you took God seriously as an adolescent, as a teenager, and then your adult life is kind of continuing that same trajectory. Of course, everybody has ups and downs. You know, I'm not saying that, but but you're baptized as an infant, and, and throughout your whole life, including as a child and as a teenager, you've taken God seriously, and today here you are a couple decades after leaving home. It's still basically the same path. If that's you, I, I don't think there's really much reason for you to be baptized as an adult. It would be somewhat redundant. But, alternatively, if you're like a lot of people, there's plenty of people in our church that I know of that are in this situation. Justin, one of our pastors, has this story where you're baptized as an infant, but then didn't take God seriously at all as a, as a child or as a teenager. Um, and later, you know, in college or as an adult, figured out what all this stuff meant and decided to commit to it. I think that baptism as an adult is very appropriate for you and could be very beneficial at this, as this moment of stepping across the line, especially if this is something recent within the last year, two years, five years, where you know, you've always said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you didn't really know what that meant, and recently all of a sudden it's starting to make sense. Be baptized. I would really encourage you to be baptized. It's a powerful symbol, and it's a powerful way of expressing your identification and unification with Christ. It's the first external thing you have to do to become a Christian. And before I go on to the second one, let me just answer this this question that everybody always asks about these two external things, which is, well, okay, do I have to do them? Do I absolutely have to do these things to be united with Christ, to be a Christian? Are they essential If I had one second, the short answer to that is, yes, you have to do them. Do these things. If I had longer, the longer answer is, well, technically, I guess not. I mean, technically, no, you don't have to do them. But why would you not want to? And they're so intimately connected to the two internal things that you have to do. You have to repent. You have to have faith. They're so intimately connected to those that it's really problematic to refuse them. They're these external things that God has given us as a help. As a way, they're not really add-ons, they're not really additional, they're ways of doing those first two things. Repentance and belief are at the core, but then baptism is a way of doing those things. It's a way of declaring initially your repentance and belief. So it's pretty important. Leading into the second external thing, in the exact same way, communion, the second external thing we do to identify with Christ, is, is exactly the same in the sense that it links back to repentance and belief. So what role does communion play? Well, first, take a look on the back of your program. See this here in the passage, the very last paragraph. He testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all scholars universally agree that that phrase there, the breaking of bread, is a reference to the Lord's Supper communion, the Eucharist, taking the body and the blood of Christ and the bread and the wine. What's communion all about? If, if baptism is this initial declaration, communion is this renewal, this, this covenant renewal ceremony. So to, to take an illustration, we'll go back to baptism for a second, then we'll, we'll come back to communion. The, if, if a guy says to a girl, um, I like you, you like me, let's kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do the boyfriend and girlfriend thing, but I don't really like labels. Um, so we don't really need to, you know, go broadcasting it. We're just kind of, we, we know what we are. Um, it's, we don't need to confuse everybody else anyway. They wouldn't really understand. If somebody asks us, we'll kind of explain it to them. How about that? The girl, if she's smart, uh, like, like Brittany was when I tried this line of reasoning on her, <laughs> would say, that may have worked with other girls, but if you want to be with me, you're going to tell people about it. If you want to be with me, you're going to tell people about it. And to, to take that same illustration a step further, and this time I'm not speaking personally anymore. I'm not this dumb. I'm dumb, but I'm not this dumb. If a guy says, you know, well, let's, let's get married, but marriage really is something that happens in your heart. You know, what do we need a, a wedding for? Anyway, marriage is an internal commitment. You don't need to kind of declare it to the whole world. The girl, if she's smart, would say, no, if you want to be with me, there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a wedding if you want to be with me. Because the question in both cases is, well, okay, so what's going on here? Are Are you ashamed of this? Are you in or aren't you? Do you want this or don't you? And Jesus is concerned with that exact same question. Are you ashamed of this? Are you in or aren't you? Do you want this or don't you? He's concerned with that exact same question, and he says in the Gospels, whoever is ashamed of me, when it's all said and done, I'm going to be ashamed of them. Pretty harsh statement. So this baptism is like a wedding. It's like a a public ceremony declaring once and for all, I belong to Christ. What's communion then? Baptism is the wedding. Communion is sex. Two married people have sex. They renew their covenant together regularly. If two married people don't have sex regularly, at some point, if this goes on long enough, it's a marriage in name only. Do you have to have sex to be married? I I mean, I guess not. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not really sure. Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know why you'd really want to find out. It's, you know, (laughs) it's weird to not have a wedding, and it's weird to not have sex. It's this continual thing you do to renew the covenant. There's other ways you could do that, I guess. You know, you could sit down together once a week and read your marriage vows to one another. But that gets really old, really fast. Why would you not instead want to take this God-ordained ritual, this physical, mysterious, beautiful ritual where you engage one another in this way and say, I love you, I trust you. I renew my commitment to you. Communion is the same thing, exact same thing. This covenant renewal ceremony where you, time after time, say again and again, I renew the commitment I made at baptism. I renew the vows I made at baptism. I throw myself upon your mercy. I want to be united with you. I trust in the body and blood of Christ. 
It's a gift to us. It's a gift to us. And some people kind of are, are bothered by the physicality of it all, of baptism and communion. They're like, I don't know, it's just kind of hocus-pocus, water and wine and bread, and it's kind of like ancient, you know, pagan religion. I, it's all, I mean, come on, we're enlightened people now. We know it's all kind of a matter of the heart and the head. And if you feel that way, you're, you're just at odds with the way God has set things up. God likes physicality. Matter matters to God. He likes the physical world, and he's given us these things as external ways to speak and to engage with these internal realities. Baptism and communion. And that's it. That's, those are the four things. That's the whole list. Repent and believe, and as a sign of that repentance and belief, be baptized, and as a way of renewing that repentance and belief, take communion. That's what you have to do to be a Christian. And then out of that, you know, flows all these other things that change life. The community with other believers. Becoming a different person. But those things aren't in and of itself. Those are only kind of effects. The essence of it, repentance and belief, followed by baptism and communion. And the question is, you know, okay, where am I in all this? Do those four, am I on track with all four of those things? Does that define me? If I want to be in, you know, if I don't want to be in, or if I'm kind of not sure whether I want to be in, which of these am I really hung up on? You know, which of these do I have a problem with and why? But there really is an in and an out. It's not just kind of this, there's, there's not this mushy middle where you're kind of just hanging around. When we go on road trips, I always um, stick my hand out when we're crossing a state line so I can be the first one into the next state because I'm lame like that. And... The, the point is, a state boundary is a line. It's not a zone, it's a line. In one second, you're in one state, and the next second, you're in the next state. You're in New York one second, you're in New Jersey the next second. Even if you're going across the, the Hudson River, there's a line somewhere in the middle of the Hudson River where you're in New York water one second, you're in New Jersey water the next. Either way, it's really dirty, but you're, the point is there's a line. There's a line. You can't be in both places at once. And it's like that with Jesus. It's like that with Jesus. It's not just different degrees of association. Sure, you can grow. Sure, you can become closer to him. Sure, you're the, it can kind of infiltrate your life to a different degree. But there really is an in or an out. And these four things are what, what make up that line. These four things are kind of what mark the boundary. Line is not a zone. It has no width. You're on one side or the other. I encourage you this morning... To, to take the opportunity to assess which side of the line am I on. Am I sure? If I'm not sure, why am I not sure? Which of these four things makes me unsure? Am I sure where I stand with respect to Christ? Because a, another harsh statement along the lines of, you know, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. He says specifically, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. Whoever is not for me is against me. If you're for Christ, have you said that specifically in your heart? Have you marked it as a day? Not everybody has a moment. Have you marked it as a period of time? Have you marked it as, you know, I know at least back then I wasn't, and now I am. That's, that's enough. And if you're for Christ and you've never said it, you've never been baptized, I encourage you to be baptized. If you've never understood what communion meant, I encourage you to embrace that in a new way. And if you've never internally made these commitments of repentance and belief, 3,000 were added to their number that day. It can happen in an instant, that day. It's that easy or that hard, depending on your perspective. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to associate with you, to identify with you, to be part of your family, and through that to receive your grace, mercy, forgiveness, power, love. God, as we look at these criteria that you've laid down this morning, we're so aware that nowhere on this list is being good or having a perfect moral record, that you've made it so easy for us. God, I pray that you, through your Spirit, would awaken our hearts and enable us to repent and to believe. And we thank you for these gifts of baptism and and communion as a way of expressing it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.